Hello and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. And oh, what a Vander Jesus filled happy time we are having here tonight. Yes, this is Vander Jesus ascending for sure. Tonight we are talking about the Guilty Girls Handbook, a romance novel written about Hannah and Mona. The headliner this week is, of course, the Vandermeeren love story, because I don't really know a lot of heteronormative, completely platonic relationships where you're willing to go to jail to get your future mother-in-law off the hook. What do you think, Vina? Do you think that's something that you can easily know, homo? Yeah, yeah. The, oh, no, I do not. Short answer, I do not. I, I Yes, there is just, um, oh my gosh, there's a lot going on here with Hannah and Mona. Uh, they are really the, the stars of this episode, although there are also some other interesting things happening. Um, I feel like some, some, like, this is like one of those forks in the road that we've talked about before where it's like, hmm, what if the show had not been so committed to the endgame ships so early on and, like, experimented earlier with mixing things up? Because I really feel like you could watch this episode and be like, oh, Hannah and Mona, that's going to be a thing. Spencer and Caleb, that's going to be a thing. Because they have a brief interaction in this episode, but it's, uh, it's, it's, there's some tension there. Yeah, yeah, this episode has just a lot going on. Um, Prezra is an ass. Spencer thinks Hannah might be hiding under her covers. Arya is solidly representing the wardrobe of people who look like maybe they lost a dare, uh, while also (laughs) seeking a good man to co-parent her brother. Uh, And Emily definitely slept with Rumor Willis. Oh my, (laughs) Emily so slept with Rumor Willis. Like, (laughs) well... First of all, I think Emily slept with a lot of people in Haiti after watching this episode. I was like, okay, Emily was totally the Lothario of Haiti, but she for sure slept with Rumor Willis, and Rumor Willis for sure wants it to happen again. Yeah, upon arrival, Rumor Willis wants to uh, to happen again. I feel like uh, I feel like in the later part of their conversation, it's absolutely one of those interactions where you're like, hey, it's you, here we are. And then like after talking to the person for like a brief period of time, like the hot mess lights start to like flash. And Rumor Willis is like trying to take like small steps backward to like ease out of the situation for for like the rest of the, the episode, which is pretty funny. But yeah, they, they definitely hooked up it seems like yeah it's like rumor willis has been writing the like presra style novel about like the love story between her and and emily that's going to take place in nicaragua and then pam comes up and just like pours cold water over that whole interaction (laughs) well yeah and unfortunately like shauna's texts that were so flirtatious that they made emily blush but we never get to see or hear them we never get to, like, read any of these emails that Rumor Willis has apparently been sending <laughs> Emily for months on end. Well, she also, in, like, two seconds, pulls up these very, like, artful shots of Emily, like, in a tight tank top, working some power tools. It's, like, Rumor... Yeah, they they don't seem to be, like, they don't seem to be, like, a ways back in the scrolling feature on her yeah. phone. 
No, no. They are, like, top of screen. They're in, like, the favorites album. Well, she she needs those to, you know, do certain things. Yeah. <laughs> to get to certain places. Yes, yes. Uh, a lot of queer content in this episode. Uh, do you want to just go ahead and dive in? Let's do it. Let's do it. So we start in the motel that is Pam and Emily's new home. Pam is on the phone frantically trying to find out more info about the crash. All we know is that there was a stolen car with no sign of the driver. Emily is very guilty, seeming very quiet, clearly, you know, contemplating the fact that this is A. Pam is worried. Emily is worried. I do think that there is an interesting metaphor to be had here when Pam has a line about a car crashing through her home. I was like, you know what was kind of like a car crashing through Pam's home was Emily coming out a couple of seasons ago. Um, But after Pam gets off the phone, Emily wants to help, but Pam wants Emily to focus on college and her future. Emily has a meeting with uh, the, like, college counselor, who we will later find out is grown Prezra. Yeah, you know, it's so funny to think about all the crimes that do or do not bear further investigation in Rosewood. Like, if the cops had followed up harder on this car situation, they might have found A, or the whole who put this body on the ghost train situation. Uh, Given the resources that they expend with, like, helicopters on possession of a shovel, you would think that they might want to uh, follow up on some of these a little more seriously. I would say the the biggest, most glaring example of that is Noel Khan getting beheaded and everybody kind of being like, well, sometimes that happens. Sometimes a boy walks to the blind school and he ends up without a head. <laughs> but yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, the other liars are at Spencer's, worrying about Emily, worrying about Ashley, ruminating on how much A loves throwing cars at people. Uh, they are still on the path of believing that Redcoat slash A slash CC Drake are possibly all the same person, but the liars have designated Toby and Caleb as the dynamic duo that's going to find her. Now, I am all for delegation as a management tool, but this plays to none of Toby and Caleb's strengths. Like, unless they are going to stay outside shirtless all day and hope their abs act as a kind of bat signal, uh, I just don't think they're going to be up to the task. Veronica enters with some bad news. Uh, They've pleaded not guilty, but the judge has refused to grant bail. They're going to appeal, but for now, Ashley will remain in jail. Uh, There's also some worse news, which is that paperwork is also in motion for Ashley to be moved from the county lockup to the state prison in Muncie, which is like three hours away from Philadelphia. So it would take Hannah like six hours round trip to see her mom. Uh, And I'd also just like to note that while PLL is generally uh, in a kind of a dark and campy era right now, Ashley's encounters uh, here with the, you know, the storyline that she's in really reflect genuine injustices in the carceral system. Like this is a statistic from the Pretrial Justice Initiative there are over half a million people in jail awaiting trial in the U.S. like every day. People who, like Ashley, have not been convicted of any crime, uh, but who either have been remanded without bail or who are waiting uh, to go in front of a judge about bail or who just can't afford like exorbitant bail demands. Uh, so really, like when we look at Ashley here and see what's going on, like the cruelty is a feature, not a bug. <laughs> 
For sure. For sure. Well, also, uh, Hannah is understandably super upset about this and says to Veronica, you promised. And I'm like, Veronica, rookie move here. Like, you should not have promised. I, I feel like um we had talked a couple of episodes ago about Veronica being a little too calm and casual with Ashley during one of their interactions. I feel like in general, Veronica, Veronica is maybe operating at like 60% with this case. Like she's kind of like, eh, I think I can win this one. But like, there's kind of this sense that like, she's, she's not, I don't know. She's not like operating at her, to her full capacity here. I wonder if Ashley has confided to Veronica that she thinks Hannah did it. Uh, and, oh. that, and that Ashley would rather go down than have Hannah exposed. Um, that's just a theory that I have because I definitely agree that Veronica, uh, she doesn't seem like she doesn't seem like a shark. She's not operating like a shark here. No, no, in none of the scenes. Like I, I really feel that way. Um, yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting theory. I, I kind of, I like that theory. I like more theory. like an emotional support dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, so all of the liars storm upstairs, following Hannah. Uh, oh, also, by the way, Spencer is wearing a tie through most of this episode. Uh, Hannah is sitting sadly in Spencer's room saying that she should be the one in jail. Aria and Spencer try to tell her that it's not her fault. But Hannah says that Ashley went out there to protect her. It's interesting, you know, in these early scenes already, Hannah and Emily are operating with such high levels of guilt, especially with regards to these circumstances that are falling heavily on their mothers. Uh, Spencer assures her that Veronica is a great lawyer and that she will win the case. Hannah doesn't seem so sure. Uh, Hannah sends them off to school without her, saying that she needs to see her dad in case this is going to become a more permanent thing. Again, Tom, who not present for any of this, not even like Veronica didn't even call him. Hannah didn't call him like he is just not part of this equation whatsoever. Uh, and nor is he making any like everything is coming from Hannah's side of things. Like I have to get things organized with my dad. I have to like figure out how I'm maybe going to integrate into his family because he certainly is not going to extend anything from his side of things to make life easier or more comfortable for Hannah. Um, Hannah asks Spencer to give an apology to Veronica, but, Ver but Spencer says that none is needed. Veronica is a lawyer and is used to being yelled at. Uh, Spencer and Aria go off to school. Yeah, man, I think that that day-long vigil that Tom had with, uh, you know, when it was his gun that had been used to kill Wilton, <laughs> that was like the max amount of time that Tom wanted to spend on this whole caring for his daughter project. Uh, and he's really kind of still sulking because he has not yet been awarded his medal for it. I don't even remember if Tom shows up again in this arc. I think he does because someone, well, I don't know if he appears in person, but... I feel like uh, when Ashley is offered bail, he won't fork over money for it. Oh, my God. He's a horrible person. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fictional character, but he's a horrible person. Also, like, how awkward that H Hannah, like, Hannah has just kind of had this interaction with Veronica. Veronica is still downstairs, presumably. Spencer and Ari are going off to school. So now Hannah is just, like, up in Spencer's room, and they're playing <laughs> weird like social game of chicken like <laughs> that's awkward well I mean someone has to parent Hannah like if the liars aren't there I guess it just falls like Veronica's gonna parent Hannah the same way she parents Spencer by basically just like you know letting her do her own thing and hoping it generally turns out okay 
Yeah, exactly. We'll see if she ends up in Radley. <laughs> we will. We will. She also, uh, in this scene, Hannah dodges a call from Caleb basically saying yeah. like, she just can't deal with him right now. Which, gosh, I think is just so very interesting considering like the choices that Hannah makes in this episode, the amount of distance that she's putting between herself and Caleb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's very notable as well. Oh, so on her way to school now, uh, I just want to talk about Arya, who is perhaps trying to cheer Hannah up by wearing an outfit that is even more banana crackers than usual. It is a dress with puffy sleeves that has, like, comic panels printed all over it. It is, um, it is a whole dress. It is a whole look. Dear Lord. Um, but she is wearing this outfit as, like, a normal thing when she is accosted by Mike who wants to check in with her on whether or not he has a curfew tonight. Uh, Aria, of course, being the daughter wife in charge now that Ella is in Europe <laughs> and Byron is in Syracuse. Mike wants to go to a party with the lacrosse team after their game. Uh, there's a little bit of discussion about, you know, it seeming like maybe there's some tension between him and the other guys over Connor's car uh, he is also taking a self-defense class. Uh, I think it's at the dojo that Karate Jake teaches at, which actually makes a lot of sense as how many dojos could really exist in this town. And Mike is presumably also boyfriends with Holden. Uh, Aria is not thrilled about this news, though. Yeah, I felt like this whole Mike storyline, I mean, I read everything through the lens of Mike is gay, but I feel like this whole storyline really feels like it you don't have to stretch too hard to see that that like Mike is having trouble with his teammates he feels like he's being bullied he feels like an outsider um and also potentially like I, I felt like this whole setup of like he has he, he tells her he's going to be out with the team he and, which is like you know sounds like extremely heterosexual activity he just doesn't want Byron to know anything about it like what I don't know what are you what are you doing Mike what's going on also it, it it was hilarious to me that this bag is like, it's like a giant, like it has a giant lettering from the karate dojo and Arya doesn't notice it until halfway through the scene. It's like red font on a black bag and it's like karate dojo. And Arya like right at the end of the scene, it's like, Oh, what's that? Mike? <laughs> I don't know. Those two together. That's, that's so Arya. That's so Arya. Yeah. Um, so Prezra is on the phone with Malcolm doing a terrible job of guessing what his son has drawn. Spoiler, it's him. And if he looks like a big scary monster, that's because he is one. Then Prezra has to snark about his son's bad drawing skills once he identified that Malcolm was trying to draw him. And rather than saying something even half-heartedly encouraging, like, good effort, buddy, he calls his son Rembrandt in a very sort of disapproving tone and virtually hangs up on him. What a prince! Emily walks in then looking concerned. Uh, and it was here that my stomach dropped as I realized that he is indeed the, the like college guidance counselor. Uh, Prezra sinks against a, a de- against a desk to tell her how bad he feels about her house situation and then suspiciously ask about the police and what's going on with, with Hannah and her mom. Emily is clearly not in a great place. Prezra asks Emily if anyone else still wants to hurt them. Because he's gotten stumped on chapter 10 of his book and needs a little more info. She snaps that it was an accident and redirects to talk about a particular college. 
Yeah, this is really rough. I mean, I've said before, I don't know why Emily doesn't have like guidance counselors who are, you know, helping her uh, figure out what other schools she can go to, even if she's not a swimmer. Uh, but the fact that like the the help that she's being given is this fucking dude. Oh my goodness. Like sh- he's not talking about colleges at all. She has to like grab a brochure at random and ask like, where's this college at? Like that's the level of investigation. And he's like, Maryland, oh, what, what guidance, what sterling guidance he is providing. Uh, also, let's just think about the fact that like he's pressing Emily for information on the car going through her house. Gee, do you think that any of the surveillance footage that he has of the entire town could be useful to the police as they're trying to figure out what happened? I bet it could. I bet it could, too. Now, I feel like the show, I mean, we always think Prezra is a creep because he is, but oftentimes the show is like framing him as a good guy. I feel like the show is officially framing him as creepy and like asking too many questions and lingering around a little too much. Do you feel the same way? Uh, I definitely feel that way, and you'll you notice that it has started to happen uh, now that Arya has put so much more distance in in between her. Now here he is, like trying to. We saw him. Uh, we saw him talking to Hannah last week, uh, where he was trying to find out info about her mom, and we see him this week smarming with Emily. So this is officially a point where you start to feel like, wow. So if Arya isn't giving him this diet of info on the liars, it really seems like he is now trying to like get that information and get that like inappropriate closeness with young girls uh, through some of the liars as proxies. Agreed. And I also think it's really interesting that like, we didn't necessarily see him asking Arya direct questions about the A stuff because Arya would just blab that stuff to him, like completely mindlessly, just like, blah, 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 you know? And now like with Hannah last week and particularly with Emily in this episode, he is asking very direct questions, which are like, I feel like even Ian Harding is like playing it like it's overly pointed, you know, like he's saying, you know, do the police have any leads? Like, what's going on with this thing about Hannah? Like, he is he is definitely poking at direct questions. And I think, you know, we've talked about the whole NAT thing. This is another point where I think it would make so much sense if Prezra was a member or the ringleader of NAT because um, of his interest in Wilden's murder. Because if Wilden is part of NAT, Prezra would, you know, have, have a lot at stake around that whole situation. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. It's ridiculous that the guy who has cameras literally all over town is not tied to the NAT storyline. Like, yeah. so he had all these cameras, NAT had all these cameras, but they weren't, like, they were never in the same places. They never crossed paths while they were, like, servicing any of their hardware. Like, it just it just seems very uh, hard to wrap your head around. Uh, and also, I feel like it's interesting when we talk about uh, the way that Hannah and Emily are reacting to him like Emily here is drawing a circle that he is on the outside of, which mm-hmm. is an important boundary that Arya never really had in place. Yeah, that's really true. That's absolutely true. So elsewhere, Spalib are having a hallway confab where Spencer is basically running interference, explaining Hannah's situation and how she is too raw to talk to Caleb right now. But no worries, Spencer's going to cut class to make sure Hannah isn't at home hiding under Spencer's sheets. Is that a place she has found Hannah before? 
asking for a friend who is Vina. <laughs> uh, Caleb gets in a line about how Hannah's dad is not actually better than no one. Uh, okay, then why did you involve him in all this, smart guy? <laughs> Uh, but Caleb insists, uh, like like Presra, uh, Caleb insists on knowing how the other liars are doing in the wake of Carr through Emily's house, etc. Uh, Spencer says they're fine, and she promises to have Hannah call him. In addition, it is revealed that Toby Cavanaugh, teen architect, is now a traveling teen detective, <laughs> and uh, he's taken his gumshoe routine on the road to New York City to track down the phone number Nigel called. It could be tied to three different names and addresses, so he is off to knock on some doors. God, the image of Toby, like, in New York knocking on doors. Like, I just picture him, like... I don't even know, like, in the middle of Times Square, just, like, randomly, like, going up to, like, hotels and, like, knocking on doors that are just, like, sliding open doors. Like, he doesn't even have to knock on them. Like, oh, my God, Toby knocking on doors. But I, I took the note here that I feel like, because um, Caleb, like, asks Spencer how she is, and she kind of gives, like, gives him a non-answer. And then he, like, grabs her arm, kind of, and, like, asks her again. Not, I, like, I didn't feel like it was in a... I didn't feel like it was in like a Toby aggressive way. I felt like it was in more of a like, I genuinely am concerned about you guys and also kind of crossing some boundaries way. But I took the note that I feel like Spencer takes the comma after dearest breath here. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. I mean, we think that Spencer and Mona could have a thing. I definitely think that Spencer and Caleb like, Spencer and Hannah have very similar tastes. At a certain point, they're just going to realize that it's just each other. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how many how many of the same people can they kiss before they've just kissed each other by proxy? You know. <laughs> oh man, uh, total agreement. Also, I feel like we've talked before about how Caleb respects Spencer more than he respects Hannah in a lot of ways. And I feel like the same thing can be said of Spencer, that she respects Caleb enough to give him like an, like an answer to this question in a way that I feel she wouldn't if it was Toby. When it's Toby, Spencer is always feeling like her answer needs to manage his emotions, whereas with Caleb, she's able to give him like a little bit more of the actual truth. Yeah, I think that that uh, Caleb respects Spencer more than he respects Hannah, and Spencer respects Caleb more than she respects Toby, which is probably an indication that they should just try dating each other. <laughs> Once again, like, the, the, the theorem always comes out to the same conclusion. Like, regardless of which angles you're measuring to calculate it, it always reaches that same conclusion. It, it, yes, it's an inevitability. Yes, X equals spanna. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Although I also feel like in this, like, like Y might equal Spalab. Like, there's definitely Spalab vibes. And it, it's just it's just so interesting watching their earlier interactions and being like, why did it take? I mean, I know why, but like, why did it take the show so long to have them actually get together? Like, they they always have chemistry. They're always like more interesting on screen than Spencer and Toby. Well, I feel like your basic equation is like, Vandermeeren squared plus Spona squared equals Spana. And then the other one is like Spalab squared plus Halab squared equals Spana. So you're just like, it, it always comes out to Spana, like regardless of the variables that you're using to triangulate it. 
Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Because in my mind, the end game is always that it's like then they, then Spana does get together at some future. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, back in this endless college college questionnaire that Emily is being put through, she is feeling very down on herself regarding her college options and her lack of swimming. Um, and has really seemed to kind of, like, it seems like Emily's life is sort of existing this before and after right now. Like, she was a swimmer before, and now she is in the after. She shall never climb into a pool again. She shall never, ever think of herself as a swimmer uh, anymore. When Fitz brings up Haiti, which is just, you know, Emily's really down. And so Fitz is just going to invoke the worst time in her life when her girlfriend had just died to really cheer her up. Uh, he says that volunteering in Haiti makes her impressive. Emily doesn't feel impressive. He suggests that she get in touch with a supervisor who could write her a reference. She says she is still in touch uh, with one supervisor who could. And then he leans in way too close and way too creepily and tells Emily that someone's got to remind you who you really are, Emily. And it is so disgusting. And it really seems like he is about to try to kiss her or something. Oh my God, this dude is horrible. Take him to jail. Yes. Uh, and what a good opportunity this would be to discuss with Emily, like what she wants out of a college, what she's interested in for her future. Like none of that is happening here. They're just like, he's giving bad advice. Uh, she doesn't really know what to ask. It's not her expertise. But after he says that about someone needs to remind you who you are, uh, no, Emily, I mean, Emily doesn't need that. Emily is perfectly capable of, you know, she's a nearly adult woman. Like, she can figure herself out on her own without your help, jerk off. But um, where the heck is Paige in this episode? Like, yeah. she wouldn't even check in, even if she were out of town, upon hearing that Emily's house now has a drive through window situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paige is... Paige is not even mentioned in this episode. Nope. Maya is mentioned in this episode and Paige is not mentioned in this episode. It's very weird. And then I feel like the next time that Paige comes back, like they suddenly are like on the verge of a breakup for like no reason. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I don't like I don't know off the top of my head the next episode that we're going to have Paige in. But I know that um, I know that by the time we get to the hoedown they're in, like it seems like they're on the rocks. Yeah, I think that it's the episode, and I'm just looking up now to see if it's the next episode or not. I think it might be um, the Emily birthday party episode, the disastrous oh birthday party, where oh, like no. a bong out of a teapot or something. <sighs> yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's 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 coming up. Oh yeah, that's um, yeah that. Okay, I can't tell if that's the next episode or not, but that, that is coming up. Yeah, nobody nobody took a note after Caleb's surprise birthday party that he didn't want. Uh, it was also at a remote location and featured a near death. Like nobody nobody took the note uh, that maybe we should not do those anymore. Exactly. Yeah, that they go that they go pretty badly. Yeah, it's the next episode. It's Emily's oh. Emily's birthday party. Okay. Uh, all right. So uh, Hannah is back at her house accepting a collect call from Ashley. Uh, her mom is calling to make sure that Veronica told Hannah about the bail and the transfer. She tightly says things look bad, but they can change. Uh, Veronica is going to bring Hannah by the following morning so they can say, and then Ashley doesn't quite get out the word goodbye. She changes it to see each other at the last moment. Ashley is crying. Hannah is crying. Both of them 
are trying to be so strong. Uh, Hannah hangs up, wipes her eyes, and heads to the kitchen where she says, thanks for coming. And we see that the person she has invited over in her moment of need is Mona Vanderwall, our dear Vander Jesus. She wonders what it is that Hannah wants. Hannah announces her plan to confess to killing Wilden that she needs Mona to help her pull it off. Oh, man. I just, I feel like all of the Mona Hannah scenes in this episode, like, they take place in this, like, heightened, like, sort it's sort of, they sort of take place in, like, the shadow play universe, almost. Like, they're very noir they're very heightened, like, even the dialogue is a little bit more kind of, like, poetic and melodic than it usually is. It's We get, like, some sort of flashback fantasy dream sequences. It's just... From the second Mona is on screen, we're, like, snapped into that universe. Like, the camera angles are different. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Like, all of their scenes, it's very cinematic. Like, when Mona, like, when Mona turns her head and we see that it's Mona, it's like a movie reveal, you know? And, uh, And I actually think, like, when we're seeing what you were referring to as, like, the sort of, like, fantasy confession sequences... It's really almost as if Mona is pulling Hannah into the hyper-adrenalized reality. Like, yeah. say say what you want it to have been, and we'll make that have been what happens. Uh, exactly. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Yeah, just tell the truth, and everything will be okay. Oh, my God. Um, so, back, back from the commercial break, Hannah is um, continuing this conversation with Mona, saying that whatever they do to her can't possibly be as bad as what they do to Ashley. Mona agrees, but says that Hannah is taking a big chance talking to her. And in a very sort of like Miss Scarlet and Clue kind of way, says, suppose that she's the one setting up Ashley. Hannah confirms that Mona, Mo, what Mona said about never wanting to hurt Ashley. Uh, Mona acknowledges this and agrees, and Hannah seems to believe her. Though then Mona asks, why me? Hannah says that this will be the biggest lie she's ever told and Mona's the only one who knows how to live a lie oh my god you know I'm going to say at multiple points in the storyline like how much I love this but I just Hannah knowing that she has to go to Mona and Mona clearly knowing that this is a terrible idea but that she's going to go along with it because like why wouldn't she is so brilliant I, I think it's really fun to think about what point in the episode Mona Mona's own plan kind of crystallizes. I feel like she probably knows from this first interaction that she is the one who's going to confess to Wilden's murder, um, but she's going to carry Hannah through this for the rest of the episode. Do oh, you agree? I, I 100% agree that Mona knows from the second that Hannah tells her the plan because Mona is not going to let Hannah confess to this murder any more than Caleb wants to let Hannah confess to this murder. But the difference is that while Caleb is going to spend this episode telling Hannah what a dumb, stupid, bad idea she has uh, and offering nothing in the way of what they could do instead to save Ashley, uh, Mona is going to, to, like, spend this time getting all of the information she needs to, like, do an end run around Hannah's plan, which is going to, like, keep Hannah safe. Like, that is the goal uh, that they both have, but Mona is the one is really like, you know, putting her chips down where it matters. 
Yeah, and thinking things through more. I mean, I think Caleb is really reacting for a lot of this episode, as is Hannah, to be fair. Um, and Mona is, as always, being really methodical in the way that she thinks about things. Well, think about Mona's plan. Mona's plan is that uh, understanding that Hannah is maybe about to confess to Wilden's murder, Mona is going to take it on and confess instead. What is stopping Caleb from doing that same thing? Yeah. He just hasn't had the idea. Like, the authorities will believe Mona because Mona has, like, a history of, you know, a history of lawless behavior. She's known to have, like, been in Radley and have been treated for, like, this, you know, like, criminal, hyper-adrenalized reality situation, etc. So, like, Mona is someone the police are going to believe. Caleb is someone the police would believe, too. He's had run-ins with the law. He has a record. He's mixed up with Ashley and Hannah in a hundred different ways. Like, he was involved with, like, the gun and Tom Marin. Like, the police would, I think, believe Caleb as easily as they would believe Mona. Uh, But this isn't, like this isn't something that it would occur to Caleb to do. Caleb's mind doesn't work like that. Well, and I don't even know that it's just that it wouldn't occur to him. I mean, I think that that's true, but I also think that, I mean, up for, up until most of this episode, he thinks Ashley is guilty. And so yes. I, I think he doesn't. And, and Hannah, you know, Hannah doesn't think her mom is guilty. I think Hannah would probably do this even if she did think her mom was guilty. I think Mona would do this even if she did think that Ashley was guilty. But Caleb, um, Caleb has a sort of a different code around that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that Mona is much more like Mona has a code and, and Mona's main code is like love of Hannah. But <laughs> I think that like Mona's like Mona is a more amoral character. So like Ashley's guilt or innocence is like a semantic question to her. Like it's not something that like she feels like if Ashley didn't do it, she's more likely to help her than if Ashley did. Like she's going to help Ashley because it's Ashley. Right. Well, and I think Mona would, you know, I think Caleb would think of it from the standpoint of, oh, Ashley is guilty of murder. I think Mona would think of it more from the fact of Ashley took care of this guy who was bothering her and Hannah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, what do you think about uh, Hannah's statement here? that uh, Mona is the only person Hannah knows who has lived inside a lie, and that's what Hannah needs to do now. Like, there is for sure a reading of that line that is about queerness rather than being A, isn't there? Oh, I completely agree. I I mean, I think that that's an interesting line because I think, I mean, I think on the one hand it's true, and I think that on the other hand, like, they've all had versions of living inside of a lie. I think Aria believing that her relationship with Prezra is healthy and good is Arya living inside of a lie. I think that Spencer believing that she is heterosexual is her living inside of a lie. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think that they've all had versions of that, but I, 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 I think Mona is sort of the, the, well, Mona and Allison really, I think are the two characters that are sort of the epitome of that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it's so interesting We've always talked about how much does Hannah know, how much does Hannah understand about the depth of Mona's feelings and the nature of Mona's feelings. And I feel like in this episode, Hannah is so vulnerable that like all of her plausible deniability is really stripped away. Like Hannah is going to Mona, knowing that Mona loves her enough to help her here. And I think particularly in the, in the final scene that we'll talk about it when we get there, but like, you cannot really argue to me that in that moment when the blinds are going down, that Hannah does not, that Hannah and Mona do not have a perfect understanding 
about what this is between them. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. And so I wonder, do you think that Hannah, that there is any part of Hannah that is going to Mona in the, in the hope, whether conscious or not, that Mona will confess for, for her? No, no. I just think that Hannah, I think Hannah's plan is straightforward. Hannah is not like a deeply conniving person. Like, yeah. One of one of the trickier ploys we've ever seen Hannah do is to like put that baseball cap down in front of Noel's car and then hit him from behind. Like that's the level of like a twisty Hannah plan. Uh, usually her plan is, you know, she's like a want take have type of person. Uh, yeah. So no, I think that what what she wants from Mona is for Mona to help her, and Mona is going to be the person who does it without judgment. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to keep this brief because it's not about Vandermeeren. Spencer at home meets a bland white guy who is interning for her mother and carting in many boxes of discovery files for the Wilden murder uh, investigation into the Hastings kitchen. Uh, I declared that I was not going to bother learning this bland white guy's name, but it's so stupid and they say it so many times that by the end of the episode, I did already know. It's Beckett. This guy's name is Beckett, and he's completely forgettable. Oh, man. You know, like, I feel like Spencer is... Spencer is, goes on an interesting little mini journey with this guy because I, it's like she's already thinking about how she's going to best flirt information out of him. And she kind of has this, like, slightly antagonistic, slightly flirtatious vibe with him for a lot of the episode. I honestly feel like, though, that is just a symptom of compulsive heterosexuality because I feel like Spencer has been trained to think that dudes like this are like the dudes that she should flirt with and should want. And this dude is so charmless and so like lacks any personality that her reacting to the him in that way to me is just further proof of her queerness. Well, I think that what happened was that she was so she looked so queer in the tie and the, like, blazer situation that she's wearing in this episode, uh, they were like, oh, no, oh, no, she's getting kind of queer. She's looking for Hannah, hiding in her sheets. And so they, like, threw this, they threw this random dude uh, into the mix for her to, you know, have, like, this one episode flirtation arc with. Yeah, does this dude ever come back? Ugh, I don't know. I, I don't think so, but... He's he's completely forgettable. If he does or if he doesn't, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't. And like we're about to get sober coach Dean in as many episodes, so it's like I'm yeah, I'm oh, I'm over Oh my this goodness. Guy. Yes. Yeah. He's just he has like he has just a a very a, a very like male face blindness on PLL. Like they were just casting like another dark-haired white guy kind of face. The only interesting thing about him is that he looks kind of like he could be uh, like another uh, another Hastings spawn. He looks kind of like a young Peter Hastings. Sure. Yeah, close enough. Um, oh, goodness. So Hannah and Mona role play. Mona is interrogating Hannah, playing the role of the cop, while Hannah is uh, attempting her first of many confessions throughout the episode. Um, when Mona, when, or when Hannah says that she, you know, that she did it, Mona says, go home, little girl. You're just trying to save her mother. Then snaps at Hannah that she can't just say she did it. She has to say how and why. What was her motive? 
Hannah says that Wilden was threatening her regarding Allison, and Hannah thinks that he might have killed Allison. Mona smirks and says, that was really good. She is clearly so into this. Yeah, like Mona nods and says, that's good. And then she's like practically purring by the time she yeah. says, it's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, the idea of like, you know, the idea of like planning a false murder confession while also getting some dirt on Allison, like this, this is Mona's love language. Yeah, there's like a lot going on for Mona in this moment, for sure. There, there is, there is. Uh, oh, so intern boy, uh, who never comes back. This is his only episode. I checked uh, while okay. we were while we were in Vandermeerenland. Uh, he's talking to Veronica on the phone as Spencer finds a conveniently. Uh, conveniently available file that contains Wilden's report on Marion Cavanaugh's death. The report makes it seem open and shut. Uh, no one else had time to push her and return to their beds. No one had any conflicts with her. She was well-liked, etc. Uh, all this is questionable, of course, since Wilden is a completely corrupt cop, but the detail that Spencer seems to be latching onto is that uh, there's a note about the roof access door being... Uh, being unlocked and so it seems like Wilden's report indicates that Marion went off the roof instead of out the window uh, as was stated on I don't know what the official Radley report was or how it was different from the official police report but apparently there is a different official report uh, that Spencer feels this is conflicting with don't think about any of this too hard as it relates to what we'll finally learn about Marion Kavanaugh because none of it is going to make sense in any kind of cohesive way. Uh, it definitely involves time travel and, you know, a, a few other details that you need to bend your mind around. Yeah, time travel and transphobia. That's like, that's what killed Mary Yeah, Cabot. time travel and transphobe. That is yeah. what did her in. Yeah, this, I just feel like this, like, this is like a last ditch attempt to make Marion's death interesting. Like, they're like, wait, wait, don't go. We're going to tie it into Wilden's murder. Like, uh, don't well, you, don't, are you interested now? I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it again, but like, this is not, like, Spencer is acting like this is a total smoking gun, uh, but it's really not because if she's acting like this is going to point to like someone else who had a motive to kill Ashley, like, well, who? Toby? Like, would you rather Toby be the suspect or, like, Toby's dad, who we've never seen even one time? Like, it just does not seem, it does not seem like this is going to be rife with, like, other possibilities here. Well, and it's also, like, there are so many sort of vague threads with this whole storyline that, like, the idea that Marion's murder slash suicide was some, you know, gi giant cover-up that you know that Radley was involved in and all that like I guess if they were tying it into the De Laurentiis family and like them paying somebody off or something now like if they were bringing that up now maybe I could get on board but it's just everything is so sort of vague and conspiratorial and we already have the you know the like the the whole sort of Wilden murder conspiracy and so it's just a, it's a hat on a hat it's too many it's too many conspiracies with like ill-defined terms good good point yeah uh, so in town Arya accosts Jake to chat about Mike rather than talking to Mike directly man nobody can talk to Mike directly about what's going on with Mike everybody just has to ask everybody else about him 
She's worried about him, and Jake is, like, totally happy to divulge information, uh, telling her that Mike told him that it's hard to focus on the game when your teammates are playing against you, which, again, totally sounds like something a heterosexual teen would say. Uh, Jake has really been pulled into the Montgomery family Michigas here as um, Aria says to, you know, what wants him to confirm that he has not told Mike that she's worried about her safety. And it's like, you know, I, I hope for Jake's sake that like that that um, that Mike is making out with him, too, because like he he's covering for a lot of people here. Jake says that he is here for Aria without any complications. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, it's really funny how Aria was like, no, no, it's fine. My mom can go to Europe. No big deal. Uh, but of course, now her dad has like scarpered off to the conference in Syracuse, uh, which is probably like some lady he's been catfishing online with a picture <laughs> of himself from when he was 25. Uh, he's a picture of Ezra. <laughs> yes, yes. So he's gone off to do that. And now Aria is like, home alone trying to parent her brother who is in crisis uh which she thought was really not a big deal it was just made up to try to get her mom to stay uh but now Arya's is going to spend this whole episode trying to get karate jake to be mike's new dad well it's true and i also feel like there's sort of this question of like is mike in crisis like we I also feel as like almost has like too much time on her hands these last couple of episodes because like she clearly Mike Mike is having like Mike is not feeling secure or safe but like all of this concern about like Mike's in imminent danger Mike's off his meds like what's going on with Mike like people are I feel like people are focusing on like the wrong part of the issue rather than just talking to Mike. Well, yes, yes, that's certainly true. Whether or not Mike is an actual crisis, Arya believes him to be in crisis and believes yes. that she needs, like, a co-parent in this situation and does not, for example, go to either her mom or her dad for help. Exactly, exactly. At least she doesn't go to Ezra. At least she that's, doesn't go to Prez. It is progress. It is progress. Yes. Um, Spencer, in her queer look tie, marches off to Radley with cookies. She offers one to Eddie Lamb, uh, and has the cookies beneath the stolen copy of the police report about Marion's death. Uh, they sit together and chat as Spencer points out the discrepancy uh, about the window versus the roof. And she wants to get to the bottom of this uh, because Toby needs answers and Hannah needs to know if someone else had a motive for killing Wilden besides her mom. Yeah, I, I feel like these two smile at each other like old lovers when they see each other like it's very warm and friendly um and then she has you know this again like what you said like what she believes to be this smoking gun of a police report but you know there was an interesting line here where like spencer's like well why you know why didn't you like when you knew that wilden was corrupt you know why didn't you like tell anybody why didn't you do anything and uh eddie has this line about wilden was the police and it's like, you know, something that is not acknowledged in any of this is the fact that, like, Eddie Lamb is a is a black man in Rosewood. And he's, like, navigating these difficult interactions with the police. Like, Spencer, I think, needs to kind of, like, check her privilege a little bit here and, and think about the fact that, like, Eddie was trying to make it out of here alive, you know? Well, yeah, and we also had this discussion of power dynamics when it seemed like Eddie had clashed with Ren. Uh, and how Ren is, like, a doctor, and Eddie is, like, an orderly or a nurse. And so 
it just seems like there's a power dynamic that prevents Eddie from like really like he understands who's who's here for the wrong reasons, um, but he just doesn't have like the the power to action it that a lot of other people, including the liars themselves, might have. Yeah. It's true. But again, I really like Eddie. I like this character a lot. I, I always enjoy when he shows up. Agreed. Agreed. Also, it's weird. Like, it does seem like they have a very friendly relationship. So it's weird that Spencer has to come marching in with this stolen police report. Like, it seems like she could just ask him questions about marrying Kavanaugh if she were so inclined. Yeah, it's an it's an odd vibe because, like, she walks in and I thought his reaction was going to be total shock. But he... He's, like, delighted to see her until she shows him the police report. She seems really happy to see him. And yet there's definitely the feeling that they have not been in contact since she was at Radley. So it's just, yeah, it is, it is, it's a bit curious. Indeed. Um, so Hannah is telling Mona that the police raided the house of all pairs of high heels and left you with nothing but flats? That's barbaric, Mona chimes. Hannah tells Mona about the Manolos, which Mona very quickly weaves into Hannah's story. You wore those shoes that night, she says, not your mother. Um, I just love how she's like mining Hannah for all of the details that Hannah has. Um, Hannah agrees, you know, with the story saying, I threw them out. Mona says that it's time to talk about the gun. I love this scene, especially when, uh, Hannah's like, you know, there were these shoes. They, the police didn't find them. They went missing. And Mona's like, you threw them out. And Hannah's like, no, they just went missing. And Mona's like, no, Hannah, you <laughs> threw them out. Like, she's really like, Mona is really feeling like this. This is what I have to work with here. Like, this is the, if Mona wasn't planning it from the jump, like, this is definitely a moment where she's feeling like, Oh, Hannah Marin is like great at many things, but falsely confessing to a murder and being able to sell that story uh, just might not might not be one of them. Yeah, this this might not work out so well. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so happy! I Emily is having coffee with Rumor Willis. Uh, I mean, with Zoe, her former Habitat supervisor, who has appeared live and in person within 24 hours of Emily checking in with her about getting a college reference request. Uh, she says, uh, Rosewood is a town that is almost as photogenic as Emily and has like several model worthy pics of Emily on her phone immediately accessible. Um, she also mentions that Emily hasn't replied to any of her calls or emails. So while I'm sure there's an argument to be made that they didn't sleep together, I am not going to be the one to make it. Uh, Zoe is putting a crew together for Nicaragua this summer. Is Emily, as Zoe is practically like unbuttoning four buttons of her blouse, interested? <laughs> Yeah, it's, yes, rumor, I, I just called her rumor in all of my notes, I know that she's Zoe, but like, she's rumor, um, but yeah, she is just laying it on super, super thick, Emily, like, this is the first time Emily has laughed and smiled this whole episode, and she's really laughing and smiling, there is definitely a vibe that they hooked up, 
Uh, there's also definitely a vibe that Emily hooked up with a lot of people in Haiti. Like the way that the way that rumor is like you were the MVP of the team, and it's like, <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> the MV- MVP and maybe the town bicycle. I'm not sure like what was what was going on here, but um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's a little weird to have the the Haiti thing uh, come up. Again, like have like Haiti and Maya come up again at this point in Emily's story. Like it, it's just um, when when rumor actually says Maya's name, I was like, oh, whoa, Maya. We're getting a Maya reference right now. Yeah, it's a little surprising. So over at the jail, Caleb is here to talk to Ashley. Ashley has asked him here because she is worried about Hannah. She can't help Hannah or do anything. And she's worried about what Hannah might do. Now, rather than talking to Hannah or perhaps Tom, she has brought in Hannah's new daddy, Caleb, to hopefully smooth over the situation. Ashley says that Hannah will charge into situations without thinking. She gets that from Ashley. Caleb counters that she gets a lot of good qualities from Ashley as well. But Ashley is worried that Hannah is, you know, primarily operating from a place of anger right now. Ashley says that Hannah listens to Caleb and he says that he will do what he can. Um, I kind of feel like this request that Ashley makes informs Caleb's character for the rest of the series. Like, I feel like he is acting in direct, like, response to this question for the rest of all time. Uh, Caleb says that Hannah uh, loves Ashley and would do anything for her. That is what Ashley is afraid of. I really love Ashley knowing Hannah enough to know that Hannah might do something like this. But what do you think of Ashley pulling in Caleb here? Well, I think that Ashley is pulling in Caleb because she knows that Hannah Marin or that the Tom Marin can't be counted on to look out yeah. for Hannah and to protect Hannah. And Caleb has been auditioning for the Mad Dad role for a while. And so here's Ashley giving Caleb the stamp of approval to just run with that. Uh, and I, I think that's what's happening. But I also feel like uh, we were talking about the, the chemistry between Spalib earlier. I actually feel like there are actually some sparks yeah. between Caleb and Ashley here as they bond over like who loves Hannah the most. And when Caleb is like, you know, Caleb is kind of saying like Hannah gets her bravery and her loyalty and her like great cheekbones from <laughs> Ashley. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot of layers happening here. I definitely feel like as the series goes on, there are inc- there are increasing vibes that like Caleb and Ashley. There's something between Caleb and Ashley, which makes the Mad Dad vibe even even more like weird and upsetting. Frankly, yeah, but also kind of makes it make more sense in a weird way. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I totally, I totally agree. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> It is, it is. Uh, Also weird, Emily is now telling Zoe about her swimming injury. And now in this scene, uh, whereas Zoe was like, kind of, she was coming in at like a 12, you know? She was like coming in with the pictures of Emily on her phone and like all the emails that she'd sent that Emily hadn't answered. And let's not forget showing up in person uh, to a request that could easily have been responded to via email or phone call. Um, but so she was coming in at like a 12 and here 
uh, Emily is like telling her more about her life, and we see Rumor trying to like back that down to like an eight when Emily's talking about how she's very lost after not being able to be a swimmer anymore. And then, like, maybe back to a six when Pam comes by and wants Emily to take something to the police station uh, because, you know, they've just delivered the news that they might not get back inside the house for months. And then maybe back to, like, a five or a four when Pam drops the info that she'll meet Emily back at the motel that they're living in. Uh, Zoe is not, like, super kind about all of this. Like, she's not really hiding the fact that she's trying to back up real quick. Uh, but despite Zoe, like, now kind of signaling, like, oh, wow, there are, like, I, I suddenly have had my eye caught by, like, debris of red flags that are just <laughs> flapping around in your wake everywhere, Emily Fields. I don't know how I didn't see them before. Um, Despite that, Emily is just like, where can I sign on this next Habitat trip? Uh, I want to put my name down right now. Uh, Emily Fields is so lost. She would basically sign up for like one of those billion year commitments to Sea Org if that was the document that was in the folder. That is the kind of energy that Emily has. And that is why Zoe is like trying to like sneak out of her chair, maybe go out of a bathroom window as she takes it down to a two. <laughs> Yeah, Emily, um, the fact that Emily is so, like, ready is really um, telling. Like, it's just, it's so, like, Emily just wants an escape here. And I feel like um, my memory of how the show handles this whole, like, Emily wants to go to Nicaragua thing is that they don't really address the underlying issues of, like, wow, Emily, it sure seems like your life was like going downhill and then you saw this opportunity to run away and you jumped at it really fast and like put all your efforts behind that and like, what's going on? And also like, have you consulted your mother or your girlfriend um, or your friends? Like it, yeah, I, I, it's, it, the, she's, Emily needs to take several breaths and several steps back. Well, here's, here's the thing, though. Like, the last time that we were really around Emily and Paige together, Paige had just, like, built up. This is, like, this is the dorm room we're going to live in. I yeah. have this model rendering for you. And I'm going to, like, tell you all about this future that we're going to have. And then when Emily was like, what if I can't swim? Paige was like, it's okay. We'll build a new future. Like, so Paige is on the we're building a future track. And now here comes rumor saying like, well, I don't know about the whole future, but I can tell you about like the summer when we're all going to be in Nicaragua. Like Emily just really is trying to latch on to someone else's plan for what her life should be like, uh, which is, uh, you know, like it's rough. It's, it's a rough place that she's in uh, where she's not able to really like look through any of her options and, and decide for herself what would be the best. Like, a good rule of thumb is if none of the options that are presented to you feel like they're right, you got to look for a third option. Like, yeah. you got to find something else. Yeah. Emily is very hopeful that rumor has it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's, it's interesting, too. You know, Emily has been feeling like she has no worth, like no sense of worth these past um, few, like ever since her injury, right? Like she felt like swimming was what made her exceptional and without swimming, she's average and she has nothing to offer. And here uh, rumor has been telling her, oh my God, you were in Haiti and you were doing all these things and you were building houses and you were the MVP. And Emily is like, 
oh, you know, somewhere where I'm wanted and needed and have a, some some semblance of self-worth, sign me up. Like, I'm ready to go tomorrow. Um, and it, it's it's still Emily, you know, hanging her hat on what she can do rather than who she is. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Back over at the Marin house. Mona is taking Hannah again through the interrogation, asking, where did you get the gun? Hannah says her father's desk. When Mona brings up the fingerprints, Hannah has an answer for that, saying that her mom might have loaded the gun, but she was the first one to ever shoot it. Mona asks, what was it like to kill Wilden? What did it feel like to take a life? Um, The light is like warm and glowing, and it looks like one of them is about to lean in for a kiss. Hannah is disturbed by this question, but Mona points out that these are the kind of questions that she might be asked and that Hannah needs to make her believe you were there. Which just, it's like, how many times did Mona think or try to hypnotize Hannah into telling her she loved her? How many times, or how many times did Mona try to hypnotize herself into being in a moment where like, you know, she could believe that Hannah was there, you know, telling her that it was Mona all along, you know? Uh, we cut to what I just referred to as the fantasy flashback with Wilden approaching Hannah, uh, showing off the damaged police car. Hannah pulls the gun, but Mona cuts in self-defense. We're going to self-defense, Hannah. He needs to have done something. So back in the flashback fantasy, Wilden suggests that Hannah could fix this for herself. She is her mother's daughter after all. Uh, as Hannah prepares to shoot the gun in the fantasy, she hears tapping on the window and it is Caleb uh, very much looking like he just walked in on something. Because he did. Oh, oh yes, yes, he did. Caleb is here to be Mr. Mad Dad. He's been calling her. What is Mona doing here? Hannah says that she and Mona have been through a lot. She came when she heard about her mom. They're moving on. Uh, Caleb says Mona doesn't move on. She goes straight through. Mona says she has no idea what he's talking about. But if he thinks that she and Hannah have been fisting, a lady never kisses and tells. Uh, uh, wait, no. Uh, Hannah tells him that if her mom doesn't get out of jail, she'll have to go live with Tom and his new wife and the blonde tarantula. In light of that, talking to Mona makes the most sense in the world. Mona, reveling in being chosen over Caleb for once, tells him it's her calming influence. Hannah angrily tells Caleb to go away for now. He stops away to Mad Dad elsewhere. Mona turns to Hannah, an intense look on her face, and says, we're almost finished. Uh, can we pause here for a second and just have an overall discussion of why Mona is a better partner for Hannah than Caleb by a mile? Absolutely, absolutely. I just have to say a couple quick things about this scene, and then we can absolutely talk about Mona as a better uh, partner for Hannah. Um I love that that Han, that Caleb ask, is asking Hannah, you know, where have you been? I thought you were with your dad. And Hannah is like, she answers in this way, like the staging of this scene is like, she's she's looking at Mona. She's answering Caleb's question, but she's looking at Mona. And it's like, it's like they're in this together. It's like Mona, Mona is like beaming the answer to Hannah. And Mona, Hannah, like, I'm so fascinated by this delivery that Ashley Benson gives. She answers this question almost like Mona. Like, the way that she says he had a work thing. Like, she just kind of says it in this way where it's like, I'm obviously lying to you and I don't care. And it's it very much feels like Hannah and Mona are, like, cheating together 
you know, in front of Caleb. It's so, it's so great. And I mean, some of these lines, Hannah, what is she doing here? You know, we've been through a lot and we're trying to move on. Like, these are gay lines. These are queer <laughs> lines. Like, <laughs> there's no other, there's no other explanation. Uh, I love that Hannah gets an, it's complicated because like, Caleb's relationship is always described as complicated. So it's great to have that thrown around here. Um, and Mona just like, laughing and being so snarky is just delicious. Like, as you said, she is just reveling in this. I think about all of the other, like, people that Caleb could walk into a scene with Hannah talking to in her kitchen. Hannah, if she were talking to Lucas in her kitchen, if she were talking to her ex-boyfriend, Sean, in this kitchen, if she were talking to Emily in this kitchen. Like, if she were talking even to Travis Tow Truck or her later fiance, Jordan, in this kitchen, would any of them spark this reaction in Caleb? This, like, jealousy and envy, this degree of threat. Like, Caleb understands, even if he's not articulating it, even if he also wants to pretend like Hannah doesn't understand, like, his reaction is 100% like Hannah has called up her ex-lover to help her through this instead of him. Oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, Hannah could have Sean here and Caleb would not react this way, you know? Like, Sean could be in his underwear and Caleb would not react this way. <laughs> Caleb would be like, oh, hey, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb's seen Sean in his underwear before. Like, let's be real. <laughs> right, but I mean... Other, even like other dudes that like Holbrook or Ren or like any of other, any of Hannah's other like, you know, passing interests that she has could be like shirtless in this kitchen and it would not like get this level of what are you doing from Caleb Rivers? Yeah, completely, completely agree. Um, so you wanted to talk about Mona as a better partner for Hannah. I do. I do. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I mean, it's so, it, it's, it's so interesting because like, I'm not going to pretend like Mona is, you know, the most emotionally healthy, most stable partner for Hannah, obviously. Um, but Mona, Mona brings out this sort of intelligence in Hannah and sort of fosters, I would say, this intelligence and thoughtfulness and kind of um, uh, just sort of um, expansiveness in Hannah that I think Caleb is really very quick to shut down. You know, if Hannah has an out there idea, Caleb will be the first person to be like, Hannah, that's a dumb idea. You know, let's not do that. Or that seems frivolous. Or, you know, your dreams are, your dreams are silly or whatever. And Mona is... Um, She'll fan the flames. She'll get excited about it with Hannah. She'll cheer her on. Yeah, and I feel like Mona understands Hannah in a way that a lot of other characters, including the liars, don't. Like everybody else in this episode, they're just like they're just telling Hannah what you need to do now is nothing. You need to take no action while your mom is going to be transferred to this prison that is like a different prison that is three hours away. She's in jail. There's nothing you, you, you cannot lift a finger to help her. You'll just make it worse. That is what everyone else is counseling Hannah to do. And like Mona understands Hannah 
would not be able to live with herself. Like that is not a that is not a viable solution for Hannah. She has to try something, even if it's unlikely to work. Like for Hannah's own peace of mind, she has to make some kind of Hail Mary pass to change this outcome. Yeah, yeah. Mona has this innate understanding of Hannah that Caleb is Caleb is like trying to actively reform. And Mona is completely accepting of. Yeah, yeah. Like, when Hannah is advocating for Mona at Radley, and she basically says, like, under different circumstances, she, Hannah, could have become Mona. Like, they understand things about each other that other characters just don't. Uh, and I, I feel like there's there's just something there. Like, Mona is inviting Hannah in. She's inviting Hannah into this hyper-adrenalized reality with her. And that's like the part when Caleb comes into the kitchen and you were saying like Hannah is just like giving him answers as though Mona is beaming them directly into her brain. Like this is drawing the circle where someone is on the outside. Like Caleb does not exist in the hyper-adrenalized reality. Like Caleb is no part of this scene. Like in the scene that they're drawing where Hannah killed Wilden, Caleb is like a non-entity. He doesn't even exist. And that's what, like, that's what Caleb thinks about Mona. Like, she is a threat to his existence for Hannah. If Mona snaps her fingers, Caleb could exist, like, he could cease to exist in both worlds. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, this scene is so interesting because it's like, it's like Hannah, it's like Hannah and Mona were, like, in the middle of performing a magic spell and Caleb's presence has broken the spell. And Hannah is doing everything she can to, like, get him out of there so she can get back to the spell with Mona. Um, it, it, it almost reminds, I mean, there's almost something sort of like Willow and Tara about it. You know, like the way, the thing that Mona and Hannah are doing in this episode. Well, when you were talking about, like, Mona, when we were talking about Emily seeing Rumor Willis and this being, like, the first time that she laughs or smiles all episode, like... Hannah and Mona doing this, like it's dark and it's desperate, but this is the this is the first thing in a long time that has given Hannah a little bit of hope. It's not that Veronica is gonna represent her mom. It's not that like Spencer is on the case. It's that Mona is gonna try to help her. And that this is something that they can do together. They can maybe help change the outcome for her mom. Well, and that it's it's an action. And that is that is what that is what Hannah needs. And that, I mean, that's what Ashley just was telling Caleb is like, this is who Hannah is. She is somebody who, who needs an action. Honestly, Ashley should have asked Mona to come to the jail. (laughs) Would have been more effective. It would have been much more effective. And also like every moment that Hannah is concocting this hyper adrenalized fiction reality scene where she may have killed Willen, every moment that Hannah is doing this, is a moment that she's not imagining every worst case scenario spinning out for what Ashley's future is going to be like in jail. Like this is at least something to think about that isn't that. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's also, I mean, I can, I can also see just from the standpoint of like, not that Mona's necessarily coming from at it from this place, but like it might be a very therapeutic exercise for Hannah to imagine a scenario where she kills Wilden considering um, 
I mean, even just like the language that she's putting in Wilden's mouth in this fantasy, you know, him, him making these advances on her and, you know, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, sexually harassing her essentially is like how she's framing this with the implication that he might do more harm. And so it, it, there's a way in which I can see this sort of like imagining Allie in the chair uh, in Dr. Sullivan's office that, that this is um, this is like another way of Hannah dealing with this trauma is to is to sort of walk through this fantasy with Mona. Um, and I, so I could see it actually having sort of a, a weird positive effect for her. Well, yeah. And also that Wilden in the murder fantasy, he does not act sleazy in the way that we have known Wilden, the character to act sleazy in this particular fantasy. Wilden is like a dummy. He's like a stand in for all of the gross men. Yes. Yeah, especially when they talk about him later. Like, I feel like there's a moment later in this episode that is, like, essentially the thesis statement of the entire show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, do we have more we want to say about this? Uh, there's always more we want to say about Vandermeeren, but we should probably move on because there's more Vandermeeren yet to come. So, Spencer walks into Lawyer Central uh, to find her mom and Beckett. Uh, deep in in all of the Marin case files slash Wilden case files, uh, her mom tells her that her dad has invited her to have dinner at the club with him. Uh, Beckett has noticed the missing file and um, kind of like pulls Spencer aside to be like, who's going to deal with this file situation? Spencer is like not interested in really entertaining this flirtation. She says that she'll take care of it. Uh, this is where I took the note that I feel like she is just simply reacting from a place of compulsive heterosexuality rather than any kind of genuine interest in this guy. Well, yes. And the heteronormativity casts those sinister shadows on the wall as Spencer ascends the stairs to her room. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Aria is at home and the camera at work implies that someone may be watching her from outside on the porch. Uh, she nervously calls Mike on his cell. He doesn't answer, but some other jock bro does. Again, with the answering other people's cell phones. It's weird every time. Uh, but this dude says Mike isn't conscious yet, and then sets the phone down, leaving Aria to worry that Mike is being beaten or drunk into a coma or dead. Uh, she looks worried and then dials another number. Yeah, this is weird because it's like, I mean, it's it's it seems super plausible that it's like this is just a teen party and like Mike had a little bit too much to drink. Um, but everything's been so strange and evasive with regards to Mike that it's like, yeah, Arya, Arya is Arya is freaked out. But I also feel like Arya is just like, you know, like she, she's just sitting at home reading a book, like not tracking down CC Drake, not working on the mystery in any way. <laughs> Not, like, checking in with Hannah, who, like, nobody has talked to in hours. You know, it's like, she's just sitting at home, worrying about her brother. She has really embraced this I'm the new Ella thing, you know? Yeah, she she truly has. Uh, and also, like, Mike told you he was going to be out late at a party with the team. You've called and ascertained that he appears to be out late at a party with the team. Like, so far, everything tracks. There's really no need to like go into a spiral over this information exactly exactly oh my god i get to i get to talk okay so 
Mona is coaching Hannah through it all once again. They are now up in Hannah's bedroom with the lights off. There's really like no reason for them to be up in Hannah's bedroom, except there are lots of reasons for them to be up in <laughs> Hannah's bedroom. Uh, Hannah has an answer for everything, although at the beginning of her story, there's sort of a halting, I don't know anything about that. And then this scene cuts between Hannah narrating her thought process of the, like, the fantasy thought process and the fantasy flashback itself. She's saying, no one believes us, no one will help, no one will help us, now it's his turn to be scared, and I'm going to make him stop. I really like the detail that Hannah has updated her fantasy flashback outfit to be more murdering someone by a lake appropriate. <laughs> Before she was like in the outfit that she's wearing for the rest of the episode. And now she's like got her hair pulled back. She's like in some comfy clothes and like a warm scarf. Like she's ready to do some business. Um, in the fantasy, she threatens Wilden. He tells her he's in big, she's in big trouble. She pulls the gun and then Mona narrates. He hurt your mom. He wants to hurt you. He's got all the power. Nobody's going to help you. You're the only one in the world who can do anything about it. You're all alone out there. Bugs are getting in your hair and the lake smells like something died in it. What happened next? Hannah shoots him and Mona continues to Hannah. You shot him twice. Hannah shoots him twice. Then in the fantasy, she looks over and Ashley is standing there in a beautiful coat with her beautiful hair, watching approvingly and smiling. This is like one of my favorite PLL sequences ever. I love the cinematography. I love the poetry of the writing. I love how it's this commentary on being a woman and being a teen girl and being a liar. Nobody is believing you. So you have to take things into your own hands. I love the way that like Mona may very at, at this point, based on what we know, Mona may very well be telling Hannah her own experience of actually killing Will, killing Wilden. Like she may very well be saying like, I was there. I know about the bugs in the lake because I in fact was there and was the person who killed Wilden. Um, and yet at the same time, like she is building her own story here and she go is going through all of this, knowing exactly what she is going to do. You know, like I just love how I, like, like the best PLL scenes, it works on so many levels Hannah says that she ran away and she doesn't know what happens next. All she knows is that she killed him. Mona asks if she's sorry and Hannah sighs and says that she is. Mona replies, of course you are. And I feel like this is like the moment that absolutely 1000% crystallizes for Mona. That there is no way she can let Hannah go through with this. Because of course Hannah would be sorry. Sweet, her sweet, beautiful Hannah would be sorry. And that is precisely why Mona needs to be the one to do this. Mona says, all you have to do now is tell the truth and everything will be all right. Oh, man. And like that also that line also works on two levels, right? Because there's like the level of like Mona has gaslighted Hannah into believing that this is the truth. And also the level of like Mona actually isn't going to let Hannah go through with the lie. She is going to let Hannah tell the actual truth. Oh, it's such a good scene. I feel like this scene pairs so beautifully with the scene. With Hannah and Holbrook and the tire iron, you know, uh, you're the grown up police officer. She was just a girl. Like, it's like these these two scenes of these of these girls, like having to having to take things into their own hands because the world is constantly going to shut them down and tell them that they're wrong and tell them that they're just being silly little girls. It's just br beautiful and brilliant. Well, when you talk about the Holbrook scene, I feel like a really strong case could be made that the Hannah who, you know, who hits Holbrook with the tire iron 
is the Hannah that we see Mona creating right here. Is yeah. the Hannah that Mona has molded into the possible killer of Wilden. And I think that we should remember, as we are watching Mona in one afternoon create that Hannah, who later, like, who later, like, physically, you know, physically interacts with a, with another character as this Hannah, uh, to imagine all of the time that Mona spent creating the Hannah who was the new Allison. Like, this is something that, like, this, this type of interaction must feel so familiar to the two of them. Like, yeah. so much of who Hannah was at the beginning of this series was created by Mona in exactly this way. So it's almost like, it's almost like Hannah is like a, you know, like in, in Battlestar, she's like a Cylon who has to like mm. go back in and be like reprogrammed by their creator. Like this is, this is what's happening here. And it's it just, God, it works on so many levels. Oh, it totally does. It totally does. And I, I find it so fascinating that like, I've always felt like that scene with Hannah and Holbrook, you could totally read that scene as Hannah being a, like from the standpoint of like Hannah is a, and Hannah is basically saying like, this is why I do all this shit because of you guys, you know? And so it's, it's so fascinating. The idea that like, you know, I don't really like believe that Hannah is a, I think it's fun to think about that sometimes because especially from the standpoint of like Mona creating the new Allison and Hannah, Mona creating, um, the new a from Hannah. I mean, it's very like Adam's rib or something like, I mean, that's about the extent of my ability with biblical <laughs> references, but um, like it, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's fascinating. It is. And also uh, the moment like Mona has been, uh, Mona has been like flitting in and out in this scene between being Mona, the person who is like giving Hannah the, like there were bugs in your hair and the lake smelled like a dead thing. Like, that's Mona instructing Hannah versus like the voice of the investigator who is like probing Hannah with these questions uh, versus Mona who's telling her twice, Hannah, you shot him twice versus the investigator who's like asking for more details. Uh, and I think it's so interesting that when she asks Hannah, are you sorry? It's not clear whether she's asking as the investigator or as Mona. And if yeah. she's asking as Mona, I think it's so fascinating to read that as like, maybe, maybe about Wilden, but maybe also about the two of them. Like, yeah. are you sorry? And Hannah says, you know, Hannah sounds broken. And she says, yeah, I am. And Mona says, of course you are. Yeah. All you have to do is tell the truth. And it's like, there's just so much in here that like, you can definitely read as, as part of their, queer narrative for the two the two characters here yeah well I think you know it, there's a way in which it feels like Mona Mona deciding to turn herself in or turn herself in I mean to, to confess to the murder is sort of Mona accepting that Hannah might never love her back but Mona that doesn't that doesn't take away the love that Mona has for her and sort of Mona understanding like 
okay, I I can I can admit to myself that you might not ever love me back, but I love you so much that I'm going to do this thing for you. Yeah. Oh, oh my oh. god. Okay, so Hannah has put on some nice makeup and a black dress. If she's going to go down, she's going to do it in style. Uh, she is on her way out when Caleb intercedes. And his presence here comes off as hella menacing, especially as his first words are, you didn't think I was going to leave you alone with her, did you? Which, when you think about it, is saying, you didn't think I was going to abide by your clearly stated wishes and observe the boundary that you gave me, did you? Well, yeah, it's also like, so what did you think was going to happen if the two of them were left alone together in Hannah's dark bedroom in an empty house? Like, this isn't, this isn't like a Lucas situation where it's like, oh, like, Hannah, you know, get your oar ready. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was very paranoid. They were going to, like, braid each other's hair or get the Ouija board back out. Yeah, or, like, maybe, like, didn't want that to happen. No, no, no. Certainly not. Um, Arya. (laughs) Arya answers the door for Jake. She is very, very concerned. Uh, Even though Mike's life and, like, his version of a wild night out is decidedly much tamer than Arya's. Um, I mean, yes, Mike has been, like, putting out some red flags, but she is just so freaked, and it doesn't quite seem to match the situation that they're in. Um, it's also, like, I feel like Arya is acting like, maybe it's just she spent too much time with Prezra. I feel like she's acting like she's never interacted with a teenage boy before. Like, she's like, <laughs> there were, they said that he might be un- and it's like well yes I mean drinking and passing out is like not an uncommon thing that a teenage boy might engage in at a party that he warned you was happening um but she is you know I mean I guess I guess we can't be mad at Arya for like remembering that Mike exists this week um they like put their heads together and deduce at the very same moment that Mike is at an arcade uh they plan to drive over there but before that can happen Mike calls all of a sudden Sounding a little wasted and definitely over Arya's pseudo-parenting. He might stay at Billy's, which, tell me more about this Billy, Mike. Are you guys going to share that? Um, Arya can't believe that her young son, Mike, would put her through all of that. Um, well, Ar- well, she just now works out that she's essentially been spying on him this whole episode. Jake thinks that Mike can take care of himself, but he is worried about Arya and offers to stay. Um, this dude just like really enjoys being Arya's protector, I think. Well, I think you're right, but I actually think that he has uh, he has discerned something important, which is that Arya, like when when this whole arc, uh, well, not the whole arc, like not when they were back at school, but like when this incident started tonight, uh, it seemed like maybe there was someone watching Arya from outside the house. So I think it's really possible that Arya got creeped out. And because Arya has just been, like, trained by her parents to consider herself the adult, she didn't want to say that she was scared. And so she created this drama about, oh, no, the reason that I'm so unsettled right now is that I'm worried about Mike. Because she didn't want to deal with, like, the fear that she was having about being alone in the house and being menaced by A and everything else. So that's like, you know, she didn't call around any of Mike's other friends. She didn't call her dad. She called Jake, this guy who's going to, like, 
come over and swing into action for her. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, well. Back at the Marin house, I'm so pleased to report that Caleb is having a calm and rational discussion with Hannah about her feeling out of control and helpless in the face of her mom's incarceration. He's leading with compassion and really listening as she processes the myriad of emotions that she is cycling through. Just kidding! He is yelling at her. He is accusing her of being talked into this plan by Mona, and all of his objections are tied to a complete inability to accept Hannah as an independent and capable person on the verge of making a bad decision. Instead, he casts her as an idiot and a dupe. He also heavily implies, again, that Ashley is guilty, though when Hannah questions him, he says he thought she did it before he talked to her today. Which, like, what? Why? He has known Ashley for over a year. What about this one conversation that they had while she was on the verge of being hauled off back to the Hooskow would have changed his mind? Uh, I think the whole reason this case is so compelling is that it's easy to believe for Hannah or Caleb or the viewer or the town to believe that Ashley would absolutely kill someone to protect Hannah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um yeah, you know, it's interesting this line Caleb has, you know, he's convinced that Mona talked Hannah into this. It's like, hmm, the murder confession or being queer, Caleb. Um, and, and you know, I, I think, like, it's, it's sort of odd to me that the whole Hannah confessing to the crime, it's framed as, like, oh, well, the police will believe that Hannah committed the crime because she has this whole story about how she committed the crime. And Hannah will go to jail, but it won't be as bad. And it's, like... It seems more likely to me that, like, it would just really muddy the case and they would end up, you know, needing to do more investigation. And that, like, actually, maybe Hannah Hannah should confess to the case and then, like, or con- should confess to the crime and then, like, Caleb should confess. Like, it seems like what they want to do is not just say, oh, well, this other person did it and we are going to, like, definitively say that they did. Muddying the waters, it seems like, would be a better option. Yeah, and I think that that is something that Mona understands that Hannah does not. Yeah, I think that's true. And it's seemingly Caleb doesn't really, which surprises me. Because mm-hmm. it seems like he would be savvier than that, but guess not. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, back at the motel, Pam has gotten some groceries and is hanging on by a thread. An oblivious Emily says that the station wants Pam back. Uh, when Pam says that she needs to start looking for other options, Emily just sort of blithely continues by chatting about Zoe and how great their meeting went and the upcoming tri- trip to Nicaragua that she's so excited to go on. Uh, she starts yammering on about how she might get a leadership role. Well, Pam is just like not doing great. Like Emily hands her the pamphlet and Pam is like tearing up. She holds the file. She's like fighting back tears. Emily starts insisting like, oh, maybe she could not go for the whole summer. And Pam is like, no, you don't have to organize your schedule around me. Let me go fix you something to eat. But before she can, like, actually even get her hands on these groceries, she full-on starts sobbing, falling apart in Emily's arm, the arms. This is a rough time for them both. Uh, Pam apologizes and apologizes. Emily says that it's okay and she'll fix her something. Uh, this is a lot coming down on Pam all at once. I appreciate that the script like lets us lets us sort of put together like obviously 
there we we know like why Pam is so upset. There is a lot going on, but I appreciate that this that the script doesn't have Pam be like like explain why she's crying. Like she's just overwhelmed and sad, and things are not going her way, and it's a rough time. It's a really rough time. I mean, honestly, Pam Fields is all of us crying over a bag of shelf stable groceries right now. Like that's <laughs> that that's twenty twenty for you. Uh, Pam is just a little bit ahead of her time. Uh, but I feel like there's a lot of really lovely work here uh, that Pam is, she is not able to not feel all of this. Like Pam is feeling all of it and it's causing her to like break down weeping. The only reason that Emily is not in this same state is because Emily is like willing to go like chase after a new shiny object that, that represents some time when she's not going to have to feel this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's like Emily is just running and running and running and Pam has been forced to slow down and take stock of like what's actually going on around them. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Rough scene, rough time. Pam is having a very, a very bad few days. Yes, she sure is. Uh, we follow a determined pair of heels down the hallway of the police station. We think it's Hannah on her way to Calvary, but when the camera pans up, it's Mona. She needs to speak with a detective about, you can just see the relish as the words fall off of her lips. She needs to speak to a detective about a murder. I love the detail about the heels earlier. And so we know that it can't be Hannah because like Hannah has no access to heels currently. And so it's, yeah, it's just, it's just great. Oh, I, I felt like Mona had lent her heels the first time I saw this episode. And I was like, oh God, Hannah is going to go do this. She's doing it walking in Mona's shoes. Like it just felt like, it felt like it worked, but you're right. You're right. We're supposed to know that it's not Hannah. It's good. It's a good moment. Um, oh my God, this scene. <laughs> Let's just pause everybody and have a tra- have a little commercial here for <laughs> Insidious 2. It's the most insidious of all the insidiouses. Nothing is so insidious. Arya and Jake are watching some, t- some TV. Like, that's all these two do together. Um, and he says he's happy to be here. They try to decide what they're going to watch. And then they see a trailer for Insidious 2. Arya's seen the first one twice. This new one looks even scarier, but like in a good way. And hey, audience, it opens next weekend. Also, like this moment made me sad because I miss movie theaters. Um, and uh, yeah, they agreed to go on a not date date to Insidious 2, the most insidious. <laughs> okay. First of all, it's really rude of you to make fun of them that all they do is sit around and watch TV. They are also in the pandemic 2020. It's all of us. But it's true. On the other hand, they're also co-parents. They've been raising Mike <laughs> and married for like 40 years. So they just don't get out as much as they used to. Okay, Vina? <laughs> yeah, this definitely does have the vibe of like two parents who have had like a hard night with their son. And they're like, okay, let's just like put on something stupid. But like Insidious 2 isn't stupid. Insidious 2 is wonderfully insidious. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. When you said that you miss movie theaters, this is not podcast related, but if you'll indulge me. Um, have you ever played the video game Stardew Valley? Uh-uh. Okay, so in Stardew Valley, 
uh, they recently, at least the, the version that I play, it was recently upgraded uh, to a part where you can uh, renovate an abandoned uh, an abandoned store in the town to be a movie theater if you like do all these little quests. And I recently completed uh, the, the thing where you get to open the movie theater in your little Stardew Valley town. And because I cannot go to a movie theater in real life, my little my little Stardew Valley character has gone to the movies like five times uh, <laughs> in, in the past several days and has seen such films as The Brave Little Sapling and The Prairie <laughs> King, which the game kindly built into uh, the interface. So uh, I am really enjoying that. And that, it's a great escape. <laughs> that is really sweet and like a nice way to, to you know, vicariously live through a video game character. Uh, will your little character be seeing Insidious 2, do you think? Uh, no, it, I, I would see The Prairie King 2 or The Brave Little Sapling 2, uh, should either of those have sequels. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, this was a date that's an obvious product placement. How sweet. Yes, yes, completely. <laughs> oh, so Spencer finds her mother going through, uh, murder files in the living room, as you do, um... Veronica wants to know what Spencer thinks of Beckett, who I actually, I see that I had a, a sort of a typo and auto-corrected it to Blanket. Uh, so <laughs> Veronica wants to know what Spencer thinks of Blanket, which that's fine. If that's his name, it's probably better. Uh, they discuss Ashley being moved to the state facility and staying in a cell until Veronica can get a better decision on bail. Spencer hands her mom the file about Wilden and Radley and Toby's mom. Uh, and this is where Spencer is really pitching to Veronica that this could prove Wilden was dirty, that he was always dirty throughout his career. Uh, Veronica disagrees and points out that if Spencer wants to help Toby, she should be helping him move on. True. Uh, also, as discussed before, I don't know really what Spencer thinks that this is going to do. Uh, I actually think that it's not at all a strong piece in a potential defense of Ashley. And it would most likely only serve to confuse the jury. Like if you're bringing up this investigation that doesn't seem to have any clear uh, conclusion or clear point. Uh, but Veronica is interrupted in this conversation with Spencer by a call on her cell. It's news of something shocking. Mona Vanderwall has just walked into the police station and confessed to Wilden's murder. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Uh, yeah, it, Veronica seems really happy about the idea of setting Spencer up with Beckett. Like, Beckett, isn't he nice and smart? And he's not that Team Carpenter, and he's a boy. He's a boy, <laughs> Spencer. <laughs> Hannah was up in your room for a weirdly long time today. And Beckett is a boy. And I see that you've been wearing that tie all episode. <laughs> yes, and he's also, Beckett is a boy and also not a Team Carpenter. So, like... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> We've arranged for you to have dinner with him at the club. Um, but I agree. I mean, I know that like Veronica is being framed as like kind of like the frigid wasp here who like doesn't want to deal with feelings. But like her point about, you know, nothing is going to bring Marion back. And what Spencer really needs to do is help Toby move on. Like, I agree. I do think that that is what needs to happen. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I do, too. One hundred and ten percent. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So there is a montage of phones beeping with the news. 
Everyone rushes into the police station. The song that's playing is Good Girls Do Bad Things. I don't know if that's the actual name, but that's the lyric that's playing. Um, The last one in is Hannah, who kind of rushes to the front. Mona stares at them through the window, and we zero in on Hannah. Mona is, like, behind this window. The blinds are about to drop. Mona smiles at Hannah. She seems to be saying, it's going to be okay. I've got this. I've got you as the blinds drop. And, oh, my God. I mean, this right here, this is Mona going back into the game in Season 7. You know, when Hannah asked her to, even though she knew what it might do to her, she loved Hannah so much that she was willing to go back in and finish it. And this is Mona trying to finish the game for Hannah here. This is an incredible moment. And you get the power shot. Like, the liars are doing the Avengers Assemble. Like, the liars are all coming into formation together. They're standing there with Veronica, watching as Mona is led into the interrogation room. And the other liars are just looking like they're looking, you know, bewildered. They're looking frightened. They're a little impressed. Uh, But Mona is not looking at them. She is only looking at Hannah and Hannah only has eyes for her. Like the other liars don't exist. The police station doesn't exist. Like Mona is locking eyes with Hannah and it's like they're both back in the blue space and Mona is the one who's shooting Wilden and it, it's just, oh my God, what a moment. That little half smirk right as the cop pulls the blinds down. Oh my heart. Yeah, and the way that Hannah witnesses Mona's sacrifice here, it's just it's just astounding. I mean, it's just a, a moment of of pure love. And I know that it, like this is all kind of framed in this place of like what's Mona's plan? What's Mona doing? But that what Mona is doing is she is she is telling Hannah that she loves her. I mean, that's what's that's what is happening in this moment. And I mean, there is no real way to frame this where it's like, oh, well, this is all just part of some big master plan. And like Mona set Ashley up and like this, you know, like, no, Mona is Mona has nothing to gain from this other than trying to like make this right by Hannah. And I, I really feel like this episode in, in many ways is in conversation with the first episode of this season where, you know, Mona kind of, in a sense sort of vowed to like make it clear to Hannah that she is on their side and that she's been on their side and that she, you know, that they're in this together. I mean, that's what Mona has been trying to say to the liars over and over again this this season. We're in this together. We're in this together. I don't know more than you do. Um, And this is really that moment where like she is, she is proving that. Yeah. This moment of like Hannah and Mona, like looking at each other in this way, the blinds going down, the die being cast like Mona having, you know, done this action uh, that is now going to be out of everyone's hands. I feel like there are two major movie moments that this reminds me of. I feel like in the movie Tombstone, this is the way Wyatt Earp looks at Doc Holliday after Doc kills Johnny Ringo in that great I'm your Huckleberry scene. Uh, And it's also like Han Solo and Princess Leia's declaration of I love you, I know, as Han is being frozen in carbonite. Like, it's so beautiful. And like, what is the heterosexual explanation for this? Like, what is Mona's motivation, if not extreme love and care for Hannah Marin? Like, tell me at this moment, Hannah does not fully understand 
the depth of that love because she absolutely does. She has to. Like, this is not an instinctive reaction. This is not like in a single split second, like Mona sees the bullet and throws herself in front of it. Like, that's not this. Like, this is the most brilliant and calculating person that Hannah knows, having considered the very real risks that she could end up in jail or back in Radley in a medicated coma. And yet she is taking this hit to spare Hannah anyway, because she can sell it. She's the only one capable of making them believe her. Like Mona is doing it because she's the only one who can. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. You know, and it's also so interesting that like, none of the other lie like the idea of any of the other liars doing this is not even brought up you know that even though there is so much love with the other liars but it's not like there's ever a a scene or an episode where emily is like heavily considering you know confessing to wilden's murder or spencer or aria is caleb as we talked about caleb doesn't do that either um tom certainly doesn't like hannah like it's almost like this episode is saying the only the only love that can match the ferocity of Hannah's love for Ashley is Mona's love for Hannah. And I think that is such a beautiful and powerful statement. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Oh, it's just so good. You know, when you were saying that about the movie moments, there is a movie moment that this reminds me of, or maybe a TV moment too, that I just haven't been able to place. So I'm going to have to like think about that a lot and maybe I'll have to rewatch the scene and think about it um, and, and, and come back with that next week because there's for sure a scene that I was reminded of as well, but I just haven't been able to put my finger on which scene that is. Uh, well, it also, it also sort of reminded me in uh, Sons of Anarchy when, uh, when Opie decides to be killed by the guys in prison instead of Jack's and he like goes in the room and he, like wedges a chair under the door and Jax just has to watch. It kind of reminds me of that. And it also kind of reminds me of, um, of Buffy in Prophecy Girl when Buffy knows uh, that if she faces the master, she's going to die, but she has to go off and she has to do it anyway because that's her destiny. It's like, this is like, this is like the story of Hannah and Mona. Like somebody's always going to be going down for murder. And it's like, it, it's like, just inevitable story is going to end here. Like at some point with one of them on the other side of the glass. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is something kind of like Buffy here for sure. I mean, there, I think there's definitely a bit of a, a Buffy faith dynamic of kind of being on the other side of the situation, being on the sort of the other side of the glass. There's also a way in which this kind of reminds me of the Buffy season two finale when Buffy has to sacrifice Angel, except it's like sort of like a reverse version of that where it's like, it's like if Buffy had like stabbed her, maybe it's more like the gift. Maybe it's more like Buffy, you know, Buffy jumping to save, to save Dawn, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's more that. Cause it's almost like if Buffy had, uh, you know, stabbed herself in the heart rather than stabbing Angel. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those moments where like, once you see it happening, it's like perfect. And it's, it, you can't imagine that it could have happened any other way. Like this is, this is the moment it was meant to come to that. It's all been building for. Yeah. It's like, yeah, their friendship was always friendship. Their relationship, their love story was always going to like, 
lead to this moment. Just just in the way that we I've kind of talked about how I feel like Wilden's murder was kind of inevitable and the idea that Ashley would be blamed for Wilden's murder feels kind of inevitable. Um Mona Mona doing this for Hannah feels very inevitable. Uh, I'm going to say one more thing. When we talk about the inevitability of this, I feel like there is one more way that this story could have gone. And I'm going to tell you what I think it is right okay. now. Okay. It is, uh, it is that Veronica gets a call that someone else has confessed to the murder of Detective Wilden. And we all think that it's Mona because we saw Mona go into the police station and say she needs to talk to a detective about a murder. But that when all of the liars get to the police station, Mona is still standing at the desk and we see Allison De Laurentiis in the interrogation room saying, I did it. I killed Detective Wilden. Oh, wow. That would have been great. That would have been so, so, so great. I mean, I think it would have been, I think it would have been so much more interesting than the way in which they, they eventually bring Allison back, but yeah, we're going to get there eventually. So that's just, a, that's just my own personal wish that, uh, that it could have, it could have dropped here and been like a twist on a twist. That would have been so great. Also, this conversation is making me so upset that we never got the version of this where Melissa is accused of a murder and Cece swoops in and confesses <laughs> to it. Because that is exactly like the dynamic of their relationship, I feel. And that would have been um, that would have been beautiful. But, you know, like, let's let's talk for a second about like the other couples on this show. So obviously, Caleb did not confess to the murder for the sake of Hannah or Ashley. Uh, We already have talked about that. Of the other couples, do you think that any of their their significant others would have done what Mona does here? Um, no, (laughs) no, but I think that, I think that Ezra, I think that Aria would definitely be in a situation where Prezra would gaslight her to take responsibility for a crime that he committed a hundred percent for sure. And I feel like, uh, I feel like Spencer, like through her weird feelings of compulsive heterosexuality, uh, would also, would also be very tempted to confess to a crime, uh, to get Toby off the hook. Yeah, do you think CF the RV? <laughs> oh god. Do you think that Paige would confess to a crime to get Emily off the hook? No, I don't because I think that Paige uh unlike the unlike the liars, uh Paige has not had all of the same experiences with the police. Paige believes in like a moral universe of law and order. So I don't That's think that true. Paige I I don't think that Paige would subvert that for Emily's sake. What about Allison and Emily? Oh, yeah, 100%. You think that Allison would confess for Emily and Al- Emily would confess for Allison? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Do we have more that we want to say this about this before we go to the A-tag? Or, yeah, the A-tag? Oh, my God. I mean, there's always going to be more to say about this, but I think we have done a great job of capturing as much as we possibly can the rich rich Vandermeeren tones in this episode are a thing of absolute beauty yeah this is this is part two of the Vandermeeren like epic love drama that we started uh with the first episode of this season I feel yes yes yeah uh oh so the a tag uh the black gloved hand is drilling holes in the floorboards 
uh, of what we will later learn is the De Laurentiis house. Yes. Kind of a, like, I feel like interesting visual, but like not super compelling after this. I mean, this episode just ends with such an amazing moment that I'm kind of like, <laughs> oh, hey. I mean, A is really not very present in this episode. Really Agreed. at all. Agreed. A, A is really uh, taking a, some time off. Uh, I felt like they tried, like, they tried weirdly to, like, uh, hang this A tag on power tools. Because you saw Emily in a picture when she was in Haiti. You saw her with a drill. And it was just, like, it, that was almost, like, so that Rumor could, like, have a double entendre of, like, Emily was just a master of the tools, you know. Right. She, just, <laughs> she just had the tool belt strapped on so, like... You know, yeah. that that was sort of like the, the avenue that you were supposed to go down with that. But then you see this drill, uh, drilling holes in the floorboards. And I feel like they're trying to make a connection uh, that obviously does not really hold up on that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so, yeah, that is the Guilty Girls Handbook. What are your what are your final final thoughts, final takeaways? What an episode. This um, this was actually a really fun one to watch, not just. Uh, not just because of all the Vandermeer and stuff, but just because, like, Emily's plotline is ridiculous with this, like, uh, you know, this, like, sapphic colony that she was starting on the Habitat Haiti build. Uh, you know, that's that's all really silly. Uh, Aria is, like, just at her most that's so Aria this week with her, you know, her comic book dress and and her, you know, trying to, like, you know, going to parents without partners to try and find a good man uh, to raise Mike with her, etc. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a really fun episode to watch. One of, one of the funnest, I feel. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I, like I said, like, I just feel like the, the Hannah Mona stuff is some of the best, uh, some of the best stuff ever on the show. You know, some of mm-hmm. the, the most compelling, beautiful um, and yeah, I'm, I really enjoyed this too. It feels like definitely, definitely feels like we're like heading towards the conclusion of this season and sort of the conclusion of the Wilden plot. Um, and next week is Into the Deep, which, uh, Paige is finally back and, uh, it's, it's time for Emily's birthday and, uh, Jenna is back as well and is like gonna almost drown and yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Yes. Yes, there is another action-packed episode coming up next. Yes. Um, If you have thoughts on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Or check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. Um, any, any Any final takeaways? Vandermeeren forever. Vandermeeren forever ever proud member of the church of vander jesus and of vander marin always (laughs) praise be praise be (laughs) take care